So it's about like, you know, finding a community that will accept you. Yeah. Uh, it's about, you know, it's quite hope punk. It's nice. you're a community of people that, you know, there may be internal conflicts, but you do accept each other and you are working together for a common goal. The world's on fire and you need to find a new home for you and all of your friends. Mm-hmm. And if you play long enough, you will find one, right? Yeah. Like that's the end game. When I found out that the RPG Brian Bramble was inspired by one of my favorite books, Watership Down, I knew I needed to sit down with Freddie Taylor Bell. Freddie and I discuss his works before Briar and Bramble, the midnight inspiration that led to Briar and Bramble, why he decided to make it a Powered by the Apocalypse game, and what the real-world threats and challenges are that inspired the game. I found Freddie to be funny, very interesting, and generous about his process. So I'd like you to sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Freddie Taylor Bell. Third Floor Wars delivers interviews, insights, and discussions about everything hitting the tabletop. Rule books, plastic models, dice, and cards in hand. Let the gaming begin. Tabletop games let you escape and unleash grand battles and regale epic tales of adventure with your friends. If you love gaming and learning from players, designers, experts, and creators, you are in the right place. Pull up a chair. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk Podcast. Howdy, friends. Craig here. Today, we talk to designer Freddie Taylor Bell. Freddie is a bisexual AAA games designer based in Nottingham who last April released Briar and Bramble, a Powered by the Apocalypse game about woodland creatures in search of a new home. Free, and you'll see a link to that in the show notes. Since then, the game has been updated and a Kickstarter for full art printed versions is planned to launch on September 1st. Now, if you're listening to this in September, it's being released so that you still have time to take advantage of it. We're going to talk about all of that, but first we got to welcome you. Freddie, welcome to the third floor. Hi, it's great to be here. So, Freddie, before we kind of get into you as a designer and everything, we've got to do the obligatory origin story. So at one point in your life, you knew nothing about grabbing a sheet of paper, putting down some numbers, rolling dice and pretending to be uh, that thing. Um, When did you first come across tabletop gaming the first time you saw it? Uh, Well, I think like it's kind of been like present in pop culture, like my entire life. But I'd never really I'd never like wanted to get involved with it. And it was only um, during my first years of like end of high school, beginning of college, where me and my friends started a board game night where we'd all chip in like five quid to, you know, pay for a board game. And we'd play that for a couple of months and then we'd buy the next game. And, you know, and eventually one of those days I was like, what about fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons? Um and that's cheap yeah uh, on ebay it was uh and then it stopped being about uh about different games and it just became dungeons and dragons night oh really uh yeah like we we just sort of like went completely off the rails we played all the way to 20th level uh yeah we completely abandoned the 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 pretext of oh we play any game it's like no no we're just playing just the dragons (laughs) that's hilarious now at that point was there was no such thing as fifth right so that was the most recent edition or yeah uh, fourth ed was the most recent edition okay gotcha and and was there any resistance freddie when you brought it up so you said hey you guys want to play D? was everybody like nah no they they were like everybody was with whatever game i brought up because normally i was the one who'd like go out and be like hey i found this game what do you guys think curator yeah and then they'd be like uh yeah that sounds interesting or no i don't i don't think that sounds fun uh i never had them say no that doesn't sound fun uh it was always yeah okay let's give it a try and see what it's like it was really just about like it was more about hanging out than actually the games at play yeah um so i think when we moved to dungeons and dragons it was a case of like nobody we didn't introduce i didn't introduce it but like we're just doing D now it was oh we'll play this for a couple of weeks to see what we think and everybody was like yeah sure okay let's let's try that you know everyone's heard of dungeons and dragons 
Um, so let's try. Right. How difficult was it for you the first time then? Um, I, we're now, well, I guess I, I'm assuming something. Were you the DM or did somebody yeah. else run the game? You were the DM. Okay. Uh, I was usually, the DM. usually the dumb guy that suggested ends up being the DM. <laughs> yeah, I, I was very, I was very aware of like that there had to be someone who narrated the story and then who who wasn't a player character. Um, so I was like, I'm gonna do both. I had a, a DM NP, uh, a, a DM PC, which is bad, and you shouldn't Terrible do that. Idea. And I never did it again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he he left way before we hit 20th level because <laughs> i realized like this is bad i should not do this <laughs> he wandered off <laughs> um so looking back on it now freddie now that that's you know obviously come and gone how difficult was it specifically for you we'll talk about the group later how difficult was for you to kind of get your head around what was going on so how many nights did it take before you felt like you got your sea legs under you and you were like running a game with a, a reasonable level of comfort well i used to do a lot of improv classes uh, um just because I, I like i like acting and improv is the funnest kind for me um so figuring out how to tell a story and how to like like go on the fly and improvise was already quite like second nature to me so i remember i spent one night writing everybody's character sheets because they told me what they wanted to play so i made them that character rather than like bog them down with it because I, I i don't think it's a good idea to introduce a game and be like right now homework right um so i made everybody's characters as they wanted them made um and i planned like a very quick initial adventure um so i planned that and then when we started playing it was just a case of having to like i wrote a load of notes to be like when someone does x they need to roll y you know um, and it helped that I had a character sheet with me, yeah. like behind the DM screen. So I could be like, these are the skills that are available. So I know what I should ask them to do. Uh, so it wasn't, if I went back in time and I watched those sessions, I'd imagine I'd cry and scream. Sure. Sure. But it was, it seemed quite fine. Like, like, yeah. you know, retrospectively like now, I think, I think it was fine. I don't think it took me too long to get into the swing of things with that. Obviously I've grown a lot from there, but sure, 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 sure. Yeah. We're still back in time, Freddie. <laughs> now thinking about the uh, group of players, um, I would love if you can remember, and we don't have to name names obviously, but like, can you think of the player that like just grabbed with both arms and jumped right in was in love day one. And then can you th think of a reluctant one? Uh, okay. Uh, my best man, because I get married next month. Uh, wait, no, month after next October. Thank you. Uh, my best man. He played Sir Walken, who was Christopher Walken, if a knight. Uh, okay. He just jumped in, and was like, "I, that's what I am. I'm Sir Walken. I'm just Christopher Walken." <laughs> um, uh, his his enemy, like he had an arch enemy, and I forget the actor's name. It's the. Uh, the, uh, from Jurassic, uh, Jeff Goldblum. Oh, perfect. Uh, yeah, it, his arch enemy was Bandit Lord Jeff Goldblum, who destroyed his village and kidnapped his wife and daughter. <laughs> so he went and dealt with that at one point. He was someone who just went like full gonzo. I don't care about how weird this gets. I'm Christopher Walken. My arch enemy is Jeff Goldblum. Uh, let's go. <laughs> uh that's great. That's great. Now, was there any player that it took them a while to kind of get wrap their head around it? Uh, yeah, not going to name names for sure. this one because it's not a, it's not super nice. But they really didn't care about the game. Whenever it came, whenever the spotlight pointed at them to do something, they were just like, uh, you know, they really didn't know what they were doing. They really were just showing up for the like community friendship. Yeah social gathering aspects of it right yep. uh we could have been playing checkers and they would have shown up and been as invested they really were just there for the social aspect of it they weren't there for the game yep yep so you you, you play D, D uh for for more than just a little while to get up through 20th level um we went fast we skipped a lot of levels yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. yeah we played for like i think maybe two years that's and insane. like that's amazing yeah. 
yeah, every Friday at my parents' house. That's phenomenal. That's great. Yeah, we so, we we skipped a lot of levels to get <laughs> to get there. So, what was next for you then? So, you D and D consumes your life for two years. Um, where where was the next game um, that not necessarily you saw or look or bought, but the next game that you kind of grabbed onto? After fourth, I jumped to fifth, and the moment the moment I read the rules for fifth, I was like, "Oh, this is just better." Um, <laughs> like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, I don't have to worry about saving my daily attack. I can just hit people with swords. Yeah. Great. Um, you know, so fifth ed is what really like grabbed me, and that's where I like sort of entered like roll twenty online playing of it. Uh, because before then, it really was just me playing with my friends um, like in person. And it was through playing online that I met everybody that I know in the role play, that I know that does role playing now. Yeah. Uh, we we played Fifth Ed for a while. Then uh, the moment that campaign ended, I grabbed one of the guys from it, uh, Dennis, and I was like, I, I have an idea for how to run a solo game of Fifth Ed D&D. Do you want to try it? And the plan was that we would alternate. One would play, one would DM until that character died or retired, and then we would swap. Nice. And we did that, and it was it kind of became a running joke that he can't kill me no matter how hard he tries, and I can only kill him no matter how <laughs> much I pull my punches. Because the first character we did was Philip Lancefield, Lance, uh, he was my rogue. He made it to 17th level and ascended to godhood. Um, his character, next, didn't survive the first session uh, because somebody crit him and did enough damage to put him into negative his hit points. And it was like, well, them's the breaks. <laughs> um, so um, what was it like then, Freddie? Like, I mean, it's one thing to play with your home group for that period of time and then all of a sudden you're playing online and you've got all new players, right? You got new DMs, you, you know, new people yeah. to play with running the game. Like what was the adjustment there for you? Easy, uh, hard. Well, again, I spent like most of high school. Most of my friends in high school were guys. I'm from Manchester and they were all from Birmingham and we all played on Xbox together. I never met uh, any of them in person. Still gotcha. haven't. Right. Um, so playing with internet strangers was already very much second nature to me because mm -hmm. I was lonely as a child, I guess. <laughs> uh, I have internet friends, and they count as real friends. They are they real do. friends, and no one can tell you that they're not. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that, that was always fine for me. Again, every GM has a different style, so you're going to enter a game, get two sessions in, and be like, I just am not vibing. I'm out. Um you know, sometimes you'll enter a game and be like, I'm loving this story, but this one player is just absolutely ruining it for me. So either I have to have words with the DM or yeah. I'm just, or I just have to be out. So, yep. you know, you, it's very rare that you're going to just, the, I, I'm very lucky in that the first game that I jumped into, I met Dennis. Everybody in that game was great, yeah. apart from one guy who was, he didn't last the whole campaign. So that, that was a good thing. I still play with Dennis today, and that That's was awesome. like seven, six, seven years ago. Um, yeah, we play on Tuesdays. We play Stars Without Number, the revised edition. Uh, IDM, he plays solo. It's going great. Um, me and him do a lot of solo gaming together. Mm -hmm. But again, you're, you're very lucky if you can jump, jump into the first game online that you find, apply to be in it, get accepted, and make friendships that last that long or a or be a part of a campaign that lasts that long i think you just kind of have to bite the bullet and accept hey this game could last two years it could last two months it could last two sessions or it tonight two, yeah or tonight <laughs> yeah yeah uh, it could last two sessions over the course of two months for all we know uh the schedule beast is a is a foe i, I think is impossible to slay I, I completely agree. So thinking about that, that time, Freddie, when you were playing online and really kind of, you know, expanding your view of the game through, through seeing other people play, right. As opposed to just your small group. Can you think of any particular time where, um, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this, where you leveled up, right? So maybe you were playing and a GM was doing some things. You're like, holy crap. Like I never even thought about that. That's all makes me think about 
running games different or the other side of that where you came across players that made you look at the 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 activity of role playing different I, I for me the one person that i point to as being like it, it's it's dennis that guy from the first game online if i hadn't started playing with him i would i don't think i would have ever have developed the way i have wow. that guy the way he can make the story so intrinsically personal to each and every player character, rather than there being a grand epic quest. Like the last campaign I played with him with other players, we ended up in a war against heaven. Our characters warring against heaven. And because of the skill, because Dungeon World allows for over-the-top stuff like that without yeah. breaking the power scale, you can just do that if you roll well and, well, he can never kill me and I can only kill him. Even his gods, I can kill them. Um, it's um, He set up a tournament arc during this campaign and on the way to it, he asked us questions that we had to answer earnestly as our characters in session. Nice. And the entire tournament arc wasn't about fighting monsters. It was sure you had to do that. But between the rounds, it was a very personal deep dive into like why your character made the decisions they made. I mean, the tournament wasn't even, oh, you two fight, then you two fight. It was, you go on a vision quest where you have to deal with your own personal demons. Um, after you have done that, then you're in a room with another combatant. Nowhere does it tell you that the two of you have to fight. Uh, I remember I got out of one of those vision quests where I just watched another player character kill himself to slay a dragon for me. It's a vision quest. The real character was fine. Sure. Um, completely changed my perspective on that character. Um, only then to be faced with a woman, no armor, no weapons. And I'm like, how are you, who are you? And she's like, oh, I'm the chaos witch. Um, what did you just do? I said, oh, I, sorry, I need a moment before we do this. Just let me catch my breath. I just had to fight a dragon right on my own uh and she's like oh that's fun i just had to fight the concept of dragons and i'm like how do you fight a concept well you kind of have to uh, consume and become it within yourself so i guess i am the concept of dragons now whatever that means and i'm like okay i could barely fight a dragon there is no way i can fight the concept of dragons you're an immortal who will live forever I am very mortal. If I don't win this, lots of people will die. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, blink of an eye, a thousand years have passed for you. You can come back and do this again, right? So how'd you get out of it? I just negotiated with her. Nice. She, it was just a case of me and my friends are going to go on extraordinary adventures. Come with us, and I promise nothing you see in the infinite cosmos will compare to our mortal lives. Okay, and we did a war on heaven not long after. Killed a god, became a god. Easy, you casual Friday night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the, again, the way he is able to make everything personal to your character, even Give in a large a group game. Yeah, yeah it, it's yeah. cool. You could die in this fight. I know you don't care about that. That's not important to your character. But your wife is in danger. You're going to lose who it means to be who you are. These are the morals you've established for yourself. You're going to have to, you either get what you want and have to forfeit on those morals a little bit, or you disregard what you thought you wanted and stay true to who you believe yourself to be. Right? right. Yeah. Uh, him, he really taught me how to focus on, an, on individuals um, and create atmosphere based around an individual character um that playing with him from the moment we started our solo game of fifth ed D, &D to today even i never stopped learning new things from him he oh, says so i'm cool. good i say he's good yeah bit of back and forth there but legitimately the guy is fantastic that's great so freddie what point then did you go beyond just you know homebrewing a setting or you know going off script you know while you're running a game when do you if we look back when do you think you first started creating right started designing um as opposed to just you know making some adjustments to the table okay well 
I think the moment that you start, like, this is just like my design philosophy. I think the moment you start making even homebrew stuff, you're, you are designing, right? I agree. Like, yep. If I took every magic item I'd ever made and put them in a book, you could sell that. Congratulations, you've designed a, a tome of many things. Good job, right? Uh, if I took every campaign I'd ever ran, I could make many campaign guides, right? The only difference between homebrewing and running it for your home group or internet friends and being a designer is selling it like is is collating it and putting it out there personally yeah and and i agree with that freddie i agree 100 percent, right and and it's it's very easy to put create some sort of bullshit pedestal right that we put people on because they have a name printed at the bottom of a pdf right that they put yeah. out so I completely understand that but i guess what i'm trying to say is um there, there still has to be a threshold there, right? Where it is, it's one step ahead of what the majority of us do, um, which sure. is make adjustments at the table, homebrew a setting, create NPCs on the fly. And then there's, or, or make some adjustments, like I don't like that rule, or maybe we should add this rule versus, you know, uh, one step up above that. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. So I think like the first step for that for me was uh, doing dun playing Dungeon World yeah. Um. By Sage the Torah, playing that really powered by the apocalypse as an engine, I think is fantastic because it incentivizes you to do design, to improvise, to make your own stuff. Right. I think the ease of making playbooks, the ease of making custom moves, the ease of making custom magic items, it the system as a whole actively invites you to make yeah. your own game right? It wants you to do that. And I, I think that's, I think that was like definitely the first thing that made me like start taking steps towards making my own games. Um, I, uh, yeah, I think, I think like the powered by the apocalypse engine as a whole is, is what did that for me that mm -hmm. got me really thinking about making my own stuff. Um, but from as far back as that fourth ed game on a Friday night in my in the back of my parents' house, I'd been trying to write my own thing, uh, and then like getting nowhere with it and stopping and throwing it away. Like trying to make my own rule set for something. But not that long ago, I was like, "Oh, I have an idea. Um, you you have three, you have three character classes: the warrior, the weird, and the worker, and they all have access to unique abilities that, that only they get. But maybe you could combine them so I'm a weird warrior." or a worker warrior, or a weird worker, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then you get a, a, a bit of both of those. And I'm like, Freddie, that stars without number you're describing, stars without number? Uh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin that, Crawford uh, beat you to it, and he did it very well. Yeah, very, very well. Yeah. Um, so where did you come across Sage's game? When did Dungeon World get on your radar? Because there's there's an adjustment to be made between you know, D&D 5th and, and yeah. Dungeon World. Dennis. Oh, my God. Yeah, Dennis, was like, Dennis, you keep yeah, coming up. <laughs> yeah, he was just like, you should, we should try this. Uh, and we did. And I was like, oh, my God. We then got into, he then invited me into this, like, big West Marches style game where there were, like, at the time there was one DM and, like, 30 to 40 players. And you'd sign up on a forum to be like, oh, I want, this character to join this adventure or you would post and say this character is going to go and do this adventure uh and if the guy running it had time in his schedule he would be like yeah okay cool at this time slot we're doing this game nice how many player how many other players are interested in doing that um after a while it evolved to what they called west marches 2 where they invited like several other people to dm it and uh, yeah, it was that was wild just seeing that, seeing all these different people working within uh, you know, all these different DMs, all these different players with equally as much weight and investment in this world change the landscape of what was happening. Uh, at one point, all the players hated one of my characters so much that they hired between them 30 assassins. Uh, it was, well, we could pay 30 gold for one assassin or we could pay... 30 gold for 30 thugs to go and attack this man. So one of the sessions that I put up was, oh, I want to go and do this. And it was like, okay, you all meet in a tavern and then 30 assassins attack you. That's <laughs> amazing. Like, 
okay, let's fucking go, boys. <laughs> that's great. Was, oh, yeah, that's they great. Had a, they had a separate good guys group chat, which was primarily, I hate this man. How do we kill this man? You grab onto Power by the Apocalypse, right? You know, be yeah. After being introduced to it um, through Dungeon World. Um, what was the first first game that made it for you? Um, so that you, I mean, because we all have a lot of fits and starts, right? We have an idea, we start working on it, we throw it away, we put it away, we put it on a shelf in a drawer somewhere. When you look back now, and it doesn't mean you ever finished it, but what's the first game that you got really far on as far as being able to to mold it? Uh, Guns and Guile. Okay. It was, uh, I initially released that like 2018, I think, like 2017, 2018, that a while ago. And it was just, I played Lasers and Feelings. I found out about the Creative Commons license that it had, that it was purposely designed that people could make their own version of it. And I was like, well, I like Cowboys. I'm going to make a Cowboy one. So yep. I made Guns and Guile as a one-page role-playing game, uh, put it online for free. It went it went okay, you know. I never, I didn't retire off of it, obviously. Um, you know, <laughs> Your pricing model sucked. <laughs> yeah, uh, releasing games for free, who knew? Uh, so uh, I did that, and then a couple of years later, I did uh, Now We Raid, which again, I was like, I, I want to make, I want to make it a bit more than one page, just so I can get like a bit more in there. But that was like an evolution. Like, there's like one step beyond Guns and Guile in there, I think. So, How so? I did, what, what step is that, Freddie? Oh, I just added like a, a marginal extra mechanics. There's a, a doom mechanic, which is, uh, I, I can't remember the top of my head now, but it, it's something along the lines of when you fail um, catastrophically, you get a doom point. And when all of your doom, when your doom ticks, like when you fill the clock of doom, um, bad things happen. And if the clock ticks, I think three times, that's game over. Oh, right? wow. Yeah, so it's it's again it's designed to be a one shot, right? Yep. Um, so I I wanted like a game over mechanic in there, um, so I I added that. It was just it was just one extra small mechanic, and I broke the game down into three sections. There's the home, the sea, and the raid. So nice. you're dealing with a, a conflict at home, a conflict while you're at sea sailing to England, and then a conflict in England to deal with while you're raiding. Uh, and then if you really want, you can do a second at sea and a second at home, right? Because you've got to get your stuff back. So, you know, I, I added like a, a three-act story to it, and I added um, one extra mechanic to it. Uh, that was where I first started to be like, I want to add something extra. Here. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't get it to fit on one page. So... Ten, uh, 10, 15, 20 years from now, um, my kid um, is at university and she signs up uh, for uh, Taylor Bell Design 101. It's the history of Freddie Taylor Bell. Um, and she takes the takes the 100 course and they look at Guns and Guile and they look at Now We Raid. And the professor says, now, what were Freddie's influences? What games do we see in freddy's first games so what do you think the professor would teach there like wh what shadows can i see um in those two games that are definitely harken back to things that influenced you oh definitely lasers and feelings um yeah. like obviously like again guns and guile is just lasers and feelings i don't think i added any extra mechanics it. to it yeah i just reskinned it uh you are the residents of this town the sheriff, East Clintwood, OC, please don't steal, uh, died. Uh, you guys have decided to keep the peace until a new sheriff arrives. Uh, you roll. You need to roll guns or guile to do things. There's a table on the back for figuring out what who's causing trouble in town. Um, the chupacabra's back, and it's trying to rob the bank. Nice. Uh, that's something you can roll, sure. and you've got to figure that out. Um, it, it it's just that is just lasers and feelings. The extra mechanics for like Doom, uh, I think that's got to be like a powered by the apocalypse yeah. vibe in there, right? Like I think the concept of clocks comes from um, uh, Blades in the Dark, which is influenced heavily by Powered by the Apocalypse. 
Yeah, and we see clocks in, 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 in Apocalypse. We see clocks too. I think it was I think yeah. it was John John that really like turned the volume up, right? Which is why I think we attribute it to Blades. But yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. But yeah, I think I think clocks is such a good mechanic. Oh, it's phenomenal, dude! It's a mechanic you read and go, "That's the dumbest yeah, what, thing." What do you I've mean? Read. Like what the, the moment you like, see it? And like I draw a circle and then like, dude, we don't even need the circle. And then you do it. And you're like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> this changes everything. I, and every game I run has clocks now. A <laughs> uh, friend of mine's making a superhero game and we, we play test it every now and then. And uh, for the longest time, everything was done on a clock and he hid the clock. Right. So nice. only the GM could see the clock. Right. And I was like, you, sh- I'm going to run a game of this for you. You're going to see the clock. Exactly. And you're going to realize how tense the situation right. is going to get. And the moment we did, he was like, yeah, you're right. Uh, everybody should see the clock because it's important. When I, when I run Blades, Freddie, and I go, all right, we're going to start a clock on my players. Like, oh, no. Frozen. <laughs> <laughs> Not a shipment clock. <laughs> oh, no, no. You see, for me, I'm just like, yeah, start another clock ticket. I need those bonuses. Start 10 more clocks. Give me 10 more dice. Oh, that's right. phenomenal. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I want it to go bad, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. if I can do good now and deal with bad later, right. that's fine. Because dealing with that bad, I can make more clocks. Oh, Can't that's fantastic. So, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about uh, Briar Bramble, which is really what uh, how Freddie got on my radar and uh, what I wanted to focus on today. So we'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian. I started listening to Third Floor Wars for information and insight about my favorite miniatures game, Malifaux. But I also get great interviews with game writers, designers, and artists, as well as some fantastic role-playing sessions with some really great players. I've been supporting them on Patreon for a year and a half so far, and it has been well worth it. Right now is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on interrupts the show, and explains that you should consider paying for the content you're already getting for free. They'll go on and explain that by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we commit to not interrupting your episode of Tabletop Talk with such a plea. We pledge not to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month. Even if there's a link in this show's description, and there is, we won't ask you to click it and become a patron. We won't spend time yammering about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting those episodes without ad breaks, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway, enjoy this episode. We needed to clarify that we wouldn't do this type of solicitation. Time to give a quick shout out to our most recent patrons. A big thanks goes out to John Mahoney, Philip Masca, Joshua Edwards, Clay Purse, Peter Sojanek, King Salt Nathan, Jimmy CZ, Wayne Peacock, Oliver Borden, Zachary Wills, Jay Douglas Nielsen, Patrick Healy, Ham Dog, Greg Packman, Eric Conrad, Alan Cardinal, Raven Zato, and Philip Savoy. Because of you and the hundred other plus patrons, I'm able to put out content on a regular basis. We appreciate you. So, Freddie, it, it, I'm getting the feeling that uh, Briar and Bramble might be your most ambitious game at this point when we look at the other two. Uh, well, I did make another game, What We Were. Uh, I did this oh, okay. on Kickstarter uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, it got fully funded, uh, 186%, I think, which is nice. Good. Uh, there are maybe two or 300 physical copies out in the world somewhere. This one is mine. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. So what is that game? I'm, I, and I apologize. I did not come across that. Uh, what we were is uh, it's, it's entirely its own system. It's just design. It's a generic, like settingless system designed to be, you should hack this and use it for anything that you want. I've done JoJo's Bizarre Adventure games with it. I've done Naruto games with it. I've done uh, uh, Managing a Bar in Manchester games with it. In fact, the game that inspired Briar and Bramble 
was played with what we were as a one-shot nice. session with my fiance. Just a generic system. It's available on Drive Through RPG. Um, I think like the artwork for it is is great. I love the artwork for it. It's just all sketchy, and I like it. Um, so, how, Freddie, how does that generic system compare to say something? What makes it unique, right? So, what makes it not GURPS? What makes it not Savage Worlds? Not Champions? Ah. Uh, I'll be honest, I don't really know. I think what made it that was I looked at quite a lot of those other systems, like especially Fate. I yep. actually started writing it in retaliation to Fate because I was in a Fate game that I just wasn't vibing with. Uh, like Fate points are in the, are in what we were, and it's how you level up. Um, and I ended up just being like, it took me like three or four years to write. Like I just kept changing and editing and... And doing it. In fact, at one point when I was doing my BA in games design, uh, the head of the school said to me, like, why aren't you doing this for your honors project? And I said, like, oh, I've been writing it for four years, for like three years by this point. And he was like, ah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your what was your um, what was your rage against the machine with fate? I don't know. I really think about, I, I think at the time, I just I just don't think I like how between key moments you can swap you know between sessions or between key events you can swap your skills about mm -hmm. so i kind of make it make it kind of makes it feel like i don't know it's a game that wants you to stack a bunch of bonuses and then cash them all in in one go which doesn't lead which i think like didn't lean towards a style of play that i was after like right. i wanted my immediate actions to have impact yeah. Whereas to do big impacty stuff in Fate, you kind of need to build up a lot of situational bonuses. I don't want to run around a room starting fires so that the fires can give me a big bonus later on when I try and blow somebody up. Right. I just want to be able to try and blow somebody up. Yep. Um, yeah, I think like I've not looked at what we were for a while now. I don't really talk about it online much anymore. Um it's um i like it i think it's a good system i've used it for loads of different things it it definitely can walk the walk when it comes to being able to do anything mm -hmm. but yeah I, I think like sorry i've completely forgotten the question <laughs> i'm so sorry well we started with one thing freddie and we went into this game which i was not familiar with so this this oh. gives me a much better idea um of what that was and it sounds like the, the earliest version of Brian Bramble used this system um, yeah, as you started uh, uh, playing it. But um, and we're cheating a little bit because, you and I had a conversation before we went live. Um, I know that you have a notebook in front of you. And oh, yeah. Uh, so we need to tell that one. story. So w one of the first questions I ask uh, creators is, where's the first seed of the idea? And, and most people that I have on the show, Freddie, are like, well, I think it was this. I think it was like that. Freddie goes, I've got the book. I'll be right back. Yeah, I, I signed and dated it at 3 a.m. on the 18th of March, 2021. Um, that, that's, when I, that's when I dated it, and I released the first version of the game in April. So I spent God. about a month just, it completely consumed me for like a month just writing this game. Uh, and what I've got written here isn't a Powered by the Apocalypse game. It what is it? I mean, you're staring okay, at it, Freddy. Okay, Don't okay, hold it. I'll read it. What's on there? Briar and Bramble. Players are woodland creatures journeying from one place to another because their home was destroyed. That checks out, okay? Uh, different animals have different bonuses. Not true. Any nope. Nope. Uh, but everybody has X points to put wherever. No, you don't. So you're not just stuck with whatever species you choose. It's about group survival and overcoming animal tear threats, such as crossing rivers, avoiding humans, gathering food, and dealing with predators. Uh, quite a lot of that holds up, but the vague character creation notes that I put in, no, <laughs> no. I, uh, it was one of those niggly thoughts. I'm late, lying in bed at three in the morning, cannot sleep because this thought is just consuming me. So I'm like, right, I just need to write this down. So I got out of bed. What passed my Animals of Farthing Woods books, which is that stack of greens right. there, and just wrote this down. And went, finally, now I can sleep. And the next day, it was sat in front of my computer. I was like, right, what's this? And so, then, I'd be curious, Freddie, what do you think it was that caused that to rise to, to your 
to the forefront of your brain, right? To your to your consciousness where it then consumed you. Was there a book you had just read or uh, something you'd just seen on TV or has it do you think it was boiling back there for a long time this this concept of of playing woodland creatures? Well, I think like the idea of like uh, a commu- a game that focuses on community that's about finding a new home it, it's 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 vaguely political it, it's uh inspired by brexit the impending climate crisis it's you know with brexit it's um the generation above mine decided uh on behalf of everybody that uh the fact that i was born into the european union now it doesn't matter i am no longer european i am right. just english uh, they have taken my identity from me, and it, and it's about finding a new home. The concept of the climate crisis is, well, the start for Briar and Bramble is humans have destroyed your home with fire. Find a new one. If the science is to be believed, not that long in the future for us, maybe even in our lifetimes, climate refugees is going to be a very, very real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're already seeing it. I mean, it's it's not a yeah. matter of it's not a matter of if or when it's happening right now. It's just a matter of how bad it's going to freaking get. Yeah, exactly. Um, but so, yeah, we already have climate refugees. We're already seeing, you know, famine where we never saw famine before. So, yeah. Um, well, so that's interesting for me. And for you, Freddie, I mean, is it is it all um, an, an analogy for you? Is it all a way for you to 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 exercise and and, and play with with you know, a, a thin veil over it so that you're not playing refugees from the Sahara because you can't, you know, you can't have enough to eat and, you know, rebel, rebels are destroying your house. So let's do it as woodland animals and let's kind of work through that. Or did it start there and, and now it truly is watership down type thing? You know, you understand what I'm saying? I, th- I think like, I think like these thoughts on like what really inspired it definitely came after I'd started writing it. Uh, uh, when I like sat down and had like a period of introspection of being like, well, why did I do this? Right. Why did I make this game the way it is? And I, you know, it took me like a while of like being quite introspective to be like, yeah. well, these are the things that are worrying me right now. And I think you can see them without drawing too many abstract lines in this game. So, uh, I mean, uh, a big part of, it for me is um being a member of the lgbt uh q plus community right uh the idea that like uh, i've I spoke about it, it, it before i don't really want to delve too hard into it sure. right now but like uh because i present as a dude uh i i'm i wouldn't say i'm non-binary but i do prefer they them pronouns mm-hmm. um i present as a dude my fiance is a woman um so i present as straight but I'm not. Right. Um, there's a quite. I've dealt with quite a lot of like bi erasure, uh, where people are like, "Oh, you're not bisexual. That was a fate." You know. So like the idea of like this is thank meant God, to be a thank community. God they're there to tell us what we yeah, are, isn't that exactly, nice? <laughs> exactly. Thank God this community that's meant to be all about inclusion and acceptance is excluding me and declaring yeah. what I am for me. Right. Um, so it's about like you know finding a community that will accept you. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's about you know it's quite hope punk. It's nice. you're a community of people that you know there may be internal conflicts, but you do accept each other and you are working together for a common goal. The world's on fire, and you need to find a new home for you and all of your friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you play long enough, you will find one. Right? Yeah. Like that's the end game. The idea that it is out there. You will overcome all of these trials and tribulations, but you will find a new home for your community, right? Uh, so I, I think it was me trying to like channel a more positive sure. outcome for my own internal anxieties about yeah. where I fit in the LGBTQ plus community, Brexit, dealing with my yeah. national identity and uh, climate crisis. And where are we all going to live when, we're, when we have to live underwater? Right. And we all and we all know that, you know, Waterworld was a terrible movie, so nobody wants to live it either. No. Um, so, Freddie, no, at you. what point did you say, oh, shit, this is this is a powered by the apocalypse game. It didn't start that way. And when did you realize that it needed to, to pour it over? I think the initial notes that I wrote down lasted maybe an hour when I started <laughs> to look into it, because, yeah, 
I said to myself, dear God, I do not want to spend another three years writing an entire system from scratch again. Yep. I need something with a framework that I understand, that I have lots of experience with, um, that I can just sit down and engage with now, right? Yep. Uh, so for me, Powered by the Apocalypse very much was that. And one of the great things about Powered by the Apocalypse is that there are so many um, tools and documents out there to help you make a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Uh, there's Simple World by Avery Alder, which is just amazing. The Skeleton World by Cromlin Games. Um, both of those I use sort of like interchangeably to like help build the structure for Briar and Bramble. And I, but the very first thing I did was I looked at uh, vision-based games design by Artificer Games, which is a very mm. small document that just like helped me get my ideas for what the game was going to be down. And then once I had those like staples of like, these are the pillars of this game, I could then figure out this is what I want from the game. I know I want to use a Powered by the Apocalypse framework. Here are these tools that will help me make a Powered by the Apocalypse games. Which things from Powered by the Apocalypse as a system do I want to take and adapt for this? And that, you know, so using like those three tools to get my initial ideas down and then develop my initial concept of animals searching for a new home, animals are farthing wood, watership down, a little bit of fox and the hound, you know, get those ideas and make a game out of that. So it sounds like about a month or so later, uh, the first Ashcan version of this uh, did go up on itch. Is that how you got kind of threw it out there? Yeah, I, I just threw it out there for free. And within my first month, I think I had 500 downloads. Shit, not bad. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I... Why was that? Old. What do you think struck? I have no idea. I I was just tweeting about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't really... I didn't really have much of a following on Twitter. I think I had about 150 followers, uh, most of whom were friends, internet friends, or people who liked what we were. God knows why. <laughs> um, and um, it just sort of went from there. Luckily, quite a lot of my friends have quite a lot of followers. So th- when they, whenever they like or retweeted it. Right. it, that helped. Yep. Um, but, you know, I, I got 500 downloads for it. I spent, I spent some money getting an initial cover art made for it. And within that first month, I had made back double what I put down for That's it. That's great. On a game that I had released for free. Yeah. I was like, I've said so many times, don't pay for this game to people. Like, it is free. Go get it. Yep. Right? Uh, I would much rather people get it for free, have a read of it. If they decide, yes, I like this, and then want to pay me for it, pay me for it, right? That's your call. But if you just want the game, go get it, my guy. Go nuts. I don't care. If, I'll, I'll tell you, being on the other side of that exchange, Freddie, uh, for me, um, for me, it's, it's it, it, when, when I get a stuff on itch and it's the pay what you want, even if I'm not sure if I'm going to like it or not, I'm going to throw at least a buck at it, right? Usually more <laughs> than that. good of you. But, but I mean, think about it. One, um, I'm blessed enough that, you know, if, you know, four quarters fall out of my pocket and I'm in a hurry, I might not pick them up. Right. I might have to just keep, keep going. I'm lucky in that case. Right. So it's just like, you know, it's, it's a way to say, look, even if this is shit, here's, here's me telling you that it's awesome that you're making shit because that's a blessing to us because if 99% of the shit out there is being created, Freddie, I don't like, but I, that 1% is like, oh my God, that's great. Well, I need to support all 100 of them in order to get, yeah. you know, the one. So, I, so that's my little diatribe on the other side of that. So don't feel bad when people are like, yeah, dude, like you did something and it might be garbage. I haven't looked at it yet, but here's, you know, here's a buck, here's five bucks or whatever. It's not anything for you to, no, I mean, to feel guilty I don't for. Feel but bad about, I, I don't feel guilty about it. I, ju- I just sort of feel like if you want to, that's great. You know, that that's fantastic. If you want to throw me 50 cent, that's great. If you want to throw me $10, even better. But right. I'd much rather, I'd much rather a thousand people get it and not pay for it than 50 people get it, but they all pay me $10, you know? Right. This, this is not funding your house in France is what you're saying. No, like I've, I've got a full-time job. 
so yeah, it, it's it's not paying for my house. You know, I've got a full time job as a AAA yep. games designer. I, you know, don't. I'm even in, I'm in a privileged enough position where my fiance just quit a job that she hated, and I'm able to say, yeah, that's fine. I think you should do that because I'm able to pay the bills. That's fantastic. I'm yeah. able to pay my mortgage for both of us. It means I can put nothing into savings right now, right. but it, it means I am still able to do that, and that's an yep. incredibly privileged position to be in. Um, so I don't mind if people choose not to pay for Briar and Bramble. Yeah, even after the Kickstarter, there's going to be a free version of the game. The version that exists now is going to stay free forever, but the full art and, you know, if I update it again in the future, that version of it, you will have to pay for that one, unfortunately. But if you want the game, you can get it for free still. That that, I'm not going to take that away. You know, so Freddie, the things out in the wild, right? Um, literally, I like that. <laughs> um, and you know, people, a couple hundred people download it, and people start talking about it. What I want to, what I want to discuss first is the surprise, the surprise, positive reactions. Now, obviously, you think to yourself, I think this is pretty good, so I'm going to put it out there, right? Um, and so, you know, you, there'd be a certain expectation that there would be some people that enjoy it. So I'm not saying that it was a surprise that people liked it, but what I'm ta- when I talk to a lot of people that create games and put them out there and send their kid off to college, I hear the analogy said all the time, where you just kind of got to let it go out in the wild. Um, I hear about reactions that that you didn't anticipate, right? So the, the, the people were latching onto it wrapping their heads around it in a way maybe that you, you didn't anticipate did that happen not for me no interesting um the one thing that like the only thing that like someone's like grabbed it and has had like a weird reaction to it uh or like an unexpected reaction was uh somebody was commenting saying like uh you say you can play as a wolf but wolves were extinct in england in the 17th century and i was like my guy, it says I, it says you can play as any animal you want, uh, and it then his ex he then edited the post not to get rid of that initial comment of like wolves went extinct, but to say ah, I see that you mentioned that you can play anything. Never mind. <laughs> That's the only like like why is that we we're playing animals that can talk to each other. I, I could do like, I could do I could start a whole second podcast on that kind of crap, dude. That stuff just blow blows my mind. The amount of people that are fixated on the fact that you cannot fight humans in this game. No, is my response to that. Um, the amount of people that are fixated on that have been like, yeah, but a stag could absolutely mess up a human. I'm like, yeah, yeah, they could. Now with the game's in about. my game. No, yeah. it's not about that. If you could yeah. fight the impending threat, if we could punch climate change, well, it wouldn't be a threat, would it? Right. Right? <laughs> you know, like humans at least in my mind you, know, you can interpret a game however you want the author is dead after all um if, if you want to it, i interpret humans in briar and bramble as climate change they are this impending threat that has destroyed your home and has cast you to the wild find a new home well and i'm going to make an argument here freddie and i don't know if you'll agree with me or not but somebody says to you you can't fight humans in this game and you go why not i don't my game when I run Briar and Brambles? No, you can't fight humans. That's something that I've built into the DNA. Yeah. But do what you want. Like the book is yours now, right? It's in, it's on your computer. You've printed it. Yeah. I don't give a shit what you do. So if you want to battle yeah. humans, then great. Don't complain if you think the game doesn't support that because it never was supposed to. But like it just it, it kind of blows my mind. And, it, and it's it's this projection that you see very often, right? Where people like I want to play it a certain way. And I'm going to want everybody else to play it that way. And it just, it's, it's amazing, but it's good for you as a creator to say, look, this is, this is the experience that it's created for. Sure. I mean, I think like uh, a big part of why people seem to think you can always punch every bad guy is the fact that most people's introduction to tabletop role-playing games is D and D. &D. Yeah. I don't think that's where people should start. I think, I think lasers and feelings or one of the gajillion hacks of lasers and feelings like Guns and Guile available at itch.io. So. <laughs> um, uh, one of those is way better because yeah. one, most of them are free. Two, um, it's designed to be played in one session. Three, the rules are very basic and very easy to understand. 
and you can expand on it if you really want. You yep. can do multiple one shots. I don't think jumping in with something as big and expensive as and as complicated as Fifth Ed D and D is where people should start with tabletop role playing games. And I think it teaches bad habits. Personally, again, like the idea that I can, like that a single human knight can go and fight a Tarasque or a dragon, is baffling to me. Which is why I love how in Power by the Apocalypse games. You can just not give something health. Like, you, well, you can't fight it. So that's what I did with the humans in my game. Humans right. don't have health because, well, it doesn't matter if they have health or not. You can't fight them. Yep. They, yep. they, could, they deal harm, and they deal a lot of harm, but you can't fight them. You're going you to need to run away. Yeah, yeah, you can survive them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the, like, the playtesty sessions that I've done, like between releasing it initially and, and now, the stuff that sort of led to the the update that i put out anytime humans were introduced to a scene or we had to go past human lands or even through human lands the tone of the game changes very quickly to be very mm. tense everybody's very careful about what they're doing the very loud boisterous characters suddenly get very tame that's cool because they're like this is very dangerous <laughs> Well, it tells, it tells you that you, that 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 desire to have that be a threat is obviously yeah. working, right? If it, if it exactly it, by by just existing in in the nar- current narrative, it changes the tone, which is which is very cool. So, Freddie, this is not gonna this is not your first Kickstarter. Um, this is going to be your second Kickstarter, if I understand it correctly. What did you learn the first time? What mistakes did you make the first time? You're not making this time. Uh, I just put it on Kickstarter and then started advertising. <laughs> I put it on Kickstarter. I was like, "Hey, look at my Kickstarter!" And very insanely lucky that it got funded. Okay, yeah. like, like at the back of the book, there's a thank you page to for every, anyone who backed the game. Uh, there they all are. Very, very grateful to everybody who made that happen because really, it shouldn't have happened because. It's, uh, I did no advertising before it. There was no community. There was no anything, no hype about it at all. Nobody knew that it existed or was going to exist. And I had to work off of the mercy of, of people who troll Kickstarter to be like, hey, I want to talk to you on my podcast. Or, hey, I'd like to ride, I'd like to review your game. Coming out to me and doing that. Right. And I had to ask a couple of my friends, um, being like hey how do i get on podcasts and like you just have to talk to them like turns out people are people uh they're not uh, a weird corporate entity they are a human uh just talk to them and you're most of them are going to be like sure i'll see if i can fit you in my schedule some way or another right um i learned not to do paid from paid games like with what we were i paid like 150 quid to have a game played on uh on a podcast uh on a on a stream that they had vods for and they messed up the rules of the game so much and it was like uh and um and i don't think i got any i don't think i right. got anywhere near my money back from yeah. that right yeah. um so i i think you need to start talking about your game as soon as possible you need to start getting involved in the discourse online you need to start building a following of some kind. You need to start posting on Reddit, on all the Facebook groups, in all the Discord places. Obviously, only in places that allow like self-promotion. A lot of places don't, and you should be cool about that and not do that there. You've got to get out there. You've got to spread the word about it. And I think the big thing that helped was um, uh, Harold Heckmuller told me, uh, he's a roleplay friend of mine, he told me... Um, you should release this as an ash can to begin with to build a following so that if ever you do decide to do a Kickstarter or do a, you know anything with it, you will already have some kind of a following. So that's why I did release it as, a, as an ash can to begin with. I didn't release it with the initial intent of, I will do a Kickstarter for this. Mm-hmm. I just released it like that to say, hey, here's my initial concept. I'm going to update this based on feedback. I've sat down with like design friends of mine. I've sat down with like randoms from Reddit, Reddit who gave me huge walls of like on this page, this on this page, this on this page. You know, made loads of edits to it. I mean, awesome. the initial book, including the front cover, was eighty nine pages. 
and the big update went up to 119. Wow. So more than a 50% increase in content yeah. thanks to all of that feedback. So, you know, it took me a while to get that update out, a lot longer than I thought it would, but it came out. It's massive, a massive update. There's two new playbooks. Every playbook has new moves. There's new basic moves. That's Everything great. went bigger and better. And it was after I did that that I thought, okay, I, I want to do a Kickstarter with this. Yeah. There seems to be enough buzz. Uh, I want to do something with this. Well, and I, you know, there, there's something, I mean, you pulled your, uh, your first Kickstarter book out there and there's just nice about having a nicely made bound book with artwork in it. You know, and that's what the Kickstarter model allows you to do. It allows you to say, look, you know, I want, I want to invest in this. I want to make this. And um, that's a big part why I still um, a huge fan of Kickstarter, um, even though I've gotten burned more than a few times. Um, so Freddie, obviously, I'm going to link to a bunch of stuff here in the show notes. For those of you listening, you're going to scroll down, you're going to see a link to Freddie's itch, you're going to see a link to uh, the Kickstarter that's uh, happening right now, depending on when you're listening to this, um, as well as to the drive through RPG. But Freddie, if somebody wants more Freddie than what they just got over the last hour, where do they need to go? Uh, they can hit me up on Twitter uh, at the drunk wizard with an underscore at the end. I imagine you can link to that. Yes, I will. Um, uh, that's where I exist on the internet predominantly. Um, if you want to get involved with Briar and Bramble uh, inside the the PDF, uh, which is available for free on Edge, there is a link to the Briar and Bramble Discord server. Perfect. So if you're looking to play Briar and Bramble uh, between uh, the launch, of, in fact, the first session is the day the Kickstarter launches, in fact, immediately after the Kickstarter launches, I'm running a game. Uh, and the plan is to try and get as many games as possible running in the Discord server to just like, you know, try and build that community. Funny that a game about community wants to build a community. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I will be running games there. So there's a link to that in the in the PDF, which you can get by there. You know, if you want to get involved, find games to play or just share pictures of your pets. That's awesome. also valid. You are welcome. Um, yeah, like you can get involved there. You can find me on tw on uh, on Twitter. Um, yeah, th those are the two main places where you can find. Beautiful. So l last question, Freddie, uh, real quick. Um, what are you loving right now that you didn't make? So is there a, uh, a, an RPG, a board game, a TV show? What is something right now that you're just like, God, I can't get enough of this? Let me think. Let me think. Um, okay, I'm, I'm going to shout out Burning Wheel. Okay. Oh, look at you. <laughs> Burning Wheel? Burning Wheel? Okay, Burning Wheel isn't a role-playing game. It is art. I got both the big books. Look, you sure okay? do. Yeah. Nice. Burning Wheel isn't a role-playing game. It is art, and it is the single best tabletop role-playing game I have ever played. It's amazing. It's so in-depth. In fact, hell, even if you're not playing the game, if you're writing a fantasy story, yeah. make your characters using the Burning Wheel character creation system because you don't make a half-elf paladin or a, a halfling rogue. You make a person yep. with wants, desires, drives, ambitions, flaws. You make a person far more of a human than you get from any other role-playing game, I think. So... If I'm shouting anything out, more people need to play Burning Wheel. That's that's awesome. It, it, what's amazing about what Crane did with Burning Wheel is that I think people are influenced by Burning Wheel that have never looked at Burning Wheel because it was such a landmark game. You know what I'm saying? P people talk about, you know, the biggest, like, wave makers, your trailblazers in tabletop role-playing games being Dungeons and & Dragons and Apocalypse World, and that's it. Uh, and I'm just sat here just like, Ah, but Burning Wheel is yeah. actually the best one. Yeah, no, Burning Wheel, Burning Wheel was kind of a big deal. Uh, the other one that I don't think doesn't get enough credit is RuneQuest. RuneQuest changed everything as well. Uh, but we could do a whole podcast about that. Um, Freddie, I really appreciate you taking the time, man. Uh, good luck on the Kickstarter, everybody. It's uh, linked down below. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's been, been really nice to be here. It's been here. a fun conversation, man. And uh, for those of you that listen to this whole thing, like this is the end and you stayed the whole time. I appreciate you too. Take care. Hey, did you hear that? You leveled up. You finished another episode of Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. 
If you want more from the third floor, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Head on over to our YouTube channel. It is packed with painting tutorials, gaming tips, battle reports, and role-playing actual plays. Did you enjoy this episode? Why don't you send a link to one of your friends so they can enjoy it too? Last but not least, write us a review on your podcatcher of choice. This helps us find listeners almost as cool as you. Kind of a big deal. Uh, the other one that I don't think, um, uh, what is it? Um, fuck, I'm going to edit this. Um, Rune. Rune quest. Thank you. The other one that um, doesn't get enough. It's good. Good shit, Freddie. Thank you for being so conversational, man. That's great. Oh, no worries. Again, I can, if I go off topic, I'm sorry. I can't, I really can't talk for England. I gotcha. I gotcha. I'll bring you back if I need to, man. Every podcast no. that I've done so far, after the fact, I've ended up just like sitting and talking for like maybe an hour extra with the host. Oh, it's just, fun. It, it, it's fun. When you, yeah, it's fun talking games, man, especially with people that love it, too. Yeah. All right. I will bring us back. Free when you head over to itch and you'll see a link to that in the show notes. And you'll see a link to that in the show notes. you still here look uh the podcast is over and you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers well i mean if you're here you might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it on whatever platform you're listening to i do appreciate you sticking around take care